Unity and Reconciliation, from the sermon series, United, spoken by Pastor Sunita Pandan. Confession. I have had a really hard time the last few years feeling unified with my Christian brothers and sisters. I hope I don't offend anyone, but I'm just being honest. I've had a hard time with Christians who have supported policies and propaganda that have incited bigotry and violence. I've had a hard time reckoning, welcoming the stranger while placing children in cages. I can't understand love your neighbor and watching people be homeless and hungry and not do anything about it. I just can't make sense of do justice and seeing law enforcement murder people wantonly. And I don't understand violence in the name of God and name-calling and this unwillingness or inability to come together for a common good. I don't like seeing fractures in the Christian community. More times than I can count, I have told God that this season is not good for my faith. I've had um, some challenges during this time. I've thought some things that I probably should not have thought, and I've not quite prayed blessings over people that I should have. Can you relate? Even if it's not about justice matters, maybe in your marriage or with coworkers, family members, or estranged friends, relationships can be complicated and can become strained, and our heartache can cause us to act less than Christ-like. And God has had to deal with me. I am so very passionate about justice and reconciliation, but I can't allow my zeal in those areas to override my spiritual growth in other areas. The work of reconciliation is holy work, whether reconciling individuals, family members, communities, or people groups. It is how unity is maintained. Yet reconciliation requires more than passion, but deep heart work. Here at Metro, we uphold the value of transformation, and transformation is about reconciling us to God, but also reconciling us to one another. Reconciliation is part of transformation. We are continuing in our series, our sermon series, United, and today we're going to be talking about united in reconciliation, unity in reconciliation, because whenever you get more than one person in a room, you can guarantee that eventually conflict will ultimately arise. Yet reconciliation will keep us united. Today, Paul will help us understand how to do the work of reconciliation in our relationships. If you have your Bibles or you're using an app, would you turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, and it reads as follows. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in those ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all things, such, such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on your new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. 
Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe themselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through, through him. Paul is speaking to a community of believers, and he tells them that there is a difference between their old lives before Christ and their new lives now in Christ. We have to put on our new self. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. From the beginning, Paul reminds them that there is a different standard and a way of life that applies to those who have died to their old lives and have new lives now risen with Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your life must be different. Paul says you have new ambitions and desires when he says in verse 1 to set your minds, excuse me, to set your hearts on things above. In verse 2, he says you have new thoughts to set your minds on things above. You have new behaviors as demonstrated in what to leave behind. Verse 5 that says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Then in verse 8, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Instead, he says in verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Finally, Paul reminds us that in this new life, we have new relationships Look at verse 11 where he says, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. This is who we are in Christ. We are called to live into and become in our daily lives who we are in Christ. From God's perspective, whether you realize it or not, you are a totally new person. Our job is to live into that new person. The implication of this new life with our new ambitions, our new thoughts, our new behaviors, and new relationships, it's unity in Christ. As Pastor Clay taught us last week, we are united in Christ as believers. But the truth is, as united as we are in the spiritual realm, we have some very real physical divisions. Paul is reminding us that Jesus is calling us to unity despite these differences and divisions. The Colossians faced very real divisions. There were ethnic divisions between Gentiles and Jews. Religious heritage and theological distinctions between those who were circumcised and those who were uncircumcised. Barbarians were those who did not speak Greek and were considered uncivilized. And Scythians were known for their brutality and were considered just above wild beasts. And so socioeconomic distinctions existed between those who were enslaved and those who were free. It's not much different from today. 
divisions between black and white and Asian and Latinx and indigenous people, evangelicals versus mainline Christians or evangelicals who believe in social justice and those who do not, law enforcement versus black and brown communities versus militiamen, the wealthy versus those struggling to make ends meet, Republicans versus Democrats, watching the West Coast burn, those who believe in climate change and those who don't. We're experiencing a global pandemic and there are those who don't believe in wearing masks and those who willingly do so. And these are not people out there. These people are in the church. But because we are God's chosen people, we must make every effort to live a godly life. Though we live on earth in this fallen state, we are not to let these differences of opinions and backgrounds divide us. As the church, we are called to be different from the world. We are to strive for unity. Where there is disunity, reconciliation is the solution. Reconciliation brings us back into relationship with one another in a way that honors God and honors each other. It is needed in any and all relationships where there is a breach between two parties. This could be in your marriage. This could be with your children or your parents, other family members, co-workers, or other people groups, anyone. According to pastor and theologian, theologian excuse me, Brenda Salter McNeil, she says that reconciliation is an ongoing spiritual process which involves forgiveness, repentance, and justice that restores broken relationships and systems to reflect God's original intention for all creation to flourish. Reverend Brenda's definition reminds us that reconciliation is not something that happens out there to those people. It's something that happens with us, and it's a spiritual process. It's not the work of the world, but rather the work of those who have been reconciled to Christ and through Christ. It is the work and mandate of the church. It is spiritual work that brings us all back to God's original intent for all of us to live abundant lives and to, and to, and to flourish in this earth. But as much as reconciliation is not about what happens out there to those people, Paul reminds us that reconciliation first begins with ourselves. Reconciliation is about looking at oneself first. We often look at the offender and we focus on what has been done to us. And I don't want to minimize harm or breach in any way. There is plenty of blame to go around. This could be personally with an individual who has hurt you or collectively with a people group. This person cheated on you or lied to you, perhaps. There's a breach in the relationship and reconciliation is needed. Or maybe it's a collective harm, like the Japanese invasion of North Korea or the tensions between North Korea and South Korea. There is a collective breach. There's a fracture in the relationship and reconciliation is needed. You're hurt. You're broken. You have a long memory of past wrongs. But since you are a new creation in Christ, and since Christ has given you new life, reconciliation begins and ends with you, with Christ at the center. Those of us who have felt offended, who feel the harm, we are called to the work of reconciliation. Jesus constantly reminds us to look back at ourselves. He tells us to take the plank out of our own eyes before we can see to take the speck out of someone else's eye. He reminds us that if anyone has anything against you, 
Leave your offering there. Go, excuse me, leave, go make amends, and then bring your offering back to the Lord. So today, I want us to focus on our relationship as new responsibility, as new creatures in Christ, as those who have been raised with Christ, that we are responsible for doing the hard work of reconciliation. We, God's people, are responsible for maintaining unity within the body of Christ. That means we have to do the hard work and the heart work of reconciliation. Jesus is our example of reconciliation. In the beginning of Colossians, Paul reminds us that all things were reconciled to God through Christ. Reconciliation is who Jesus is. It is through Christ that we are reconciled to God, and it is through Christ that we are reconciled to one another. Reconciliation is the two greatest commandments lived out. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It's how unity is maintained. But reconciliation requires heart work. So, so what is the work of reconciliation? First, reconciliation requires letting go of toxicity. It requires letting go of toxicity. Last week, Pastor Clay reminded us to be defenders of the truth. Jesus tells us that the truth will set you free. Now, how many of you know that this is correct, but sometimes the truth can hurt? Racial reconciliation, for example, is hard because those of us who are committed to it are committed to the truth. We are committed to learning the history of racism and ethnocentrism and the caste system. We are committed to learning the truth of this country's founding fathers and how wealth is amassed or how laws and policies affect groups differently. Yet that truth can be painful to hear. It can be hard to absorb. And if we're not careful, over time, that truth, whether it's about racism or the business partner who was making side deals with clients or your loved one who betrayed you, if we're not careful, the truth can make us angry and bitter and vengeful. Rather than setting us free, the truth can bind us to our old selves, the self we were supposed to let go of. It's hard because the pain is so deep and we feel entitled to hold on to it. Perhaps we're also afraid of being hurt again. But holding on to anger is a sign that the old self still has its tight grip on us. Proverbs 29.11 says, Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. If we do not learn how to process the truth, hold it as fact, and then let it go, it can eat away at us in an unhealthy and an ungodly way. It can cause us to act foolishly and even damage our health. Paul reminds us in verse 8, But now you must rid yourselves of such things, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. When was the last time something made you angry? Was it a dispute with your spouse? Did you have an all-out, drag-out fight about your kids regarding remote learning? Did a trusted friend say or do something that hurt you deeply? Are you still holding on to it? I'm pretty even-keeled and get over most things rather easily. So the murder of George Floyd was probably the last time I was really sent over the edge. I was livid. If you recall, a few months ago, we held separate sacred spaces. The first one was for members of the black community within Metro. 
And I can share with you that many of us were enraged. We were furious. To see a man murdered before our eyes and to watch police officers stand by and allow it to happen and even prevent intervention was a little bit more than most of us could handle. When I hear of how my Asian brothers and sisters were treated in this era of COVID because it was associated with Asians, it makes me mad. When my Latinx brothers and sisters are scapegoated as, as the reason and the cause for our country's unemployment or drug issues, my blood boils. I hate the sin of racism and I hate what it does to people. And in this fight for racial reconciliation, we will encounter racism and we will encounter it often. But to let anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language invade our spirits is a poor witness to Christ. Jesus turned over tables in the temple. So there is a time and a place and a manner to be angry. I do believe that. And sin should be called out. Absolutely. However, anger should not make its home in our hearts. The heart work of reconciliation is to take the truth, whether it's the truth about racism or the truth about the lies your friends spread about you, accept it as truth. Process those feelings around that truth with God and then release it to him. I don't know about you, but I've had to talk to God a lot lately about some of the things that his children are doing. I've had to ask him, how could this happen? Believe me, it requires constant prayer. You will metaphorically or actually spend a lot of time on your knees. It requires honesty with God. It requires taking the ugly thoughts and the nasty language, the filthy language, and all of the rage to God and releasing it to him. But letting go is necessary for reconciliation. Second, reconciliation requires bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. Verse 13 says simply, bear with each other. Bearing with one another means to endure or to suffer with. It means to put up with someone even when they fall or act differently than how you would have expected them to. One of the best pieces of advice I ever heard was to put up with one another and show grace because other people have to put up with me and show grace to me. Newsflash, you are not perfect. Neither am I. You have tendencies and quirks and sins and brokenness that, that others must endure to remain in relationship with you. No matter how great you think you are, there is always room for improvement. Don't believe me? Ask those closest to you. But don't get mad at them when they tell you the truth. Just accept that we are all broken, that we are all imperfect people with areas of growth still yet unrealized. To bear with one another means to accept each other's shortcomings. And is this an excuse to let people off the hook or, or to not push them to be all that God has called them to be? Absolutely not. What it does mean is that you operate in compassion and patience toward one another. In verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Those of you who are married should know what it means to bear with one another. You love your spouse. But not everything about him or her is likable. 
but you bear with him or her. You are driven by something greater than a few quirks or personality traits. You are driven by your commitment to God and to one another. If you are truly serious about reconciliation, you must be willing to bear with one another. No one is ever going to get it right all the time. Someone will inevitably hurt your feelings or say the wrong thing, and that's okay. The point is not perfection. The point is unity. The point is loving one another through the ups and the downs, despite the heartaches and the hurts. One of the biggest stumbling blocks to racial reconciliation is not apathy, although that is very high on the list, but fear. Fear of not being perfect. Fear of saying the wrong thing. Fear of doing the wrong thing. Our society has a tendency to destroy people who don't get it right. It doesn't just happen in race relations, it happens in all of our relationships. Let me place your mind at ease. You will mess up. If not today, then tomorrow or sometime in the future. You will say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. You will unintentionally hurt someone's feelings. As we wrestle with issues and contention of differences in the church, I implore you to stay at the proverbial table. I implore you to remain in the conversation, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how messy it gets. We are talking about now how we might move together to in-person services. There are so many opinions, and we're going to have to wrestle with all of those together as a faith community. We will disagree. And guess what? It's okay. We are the body of Christ. We are united in him. We must be committed to bearing with one another. Part of bearing with one another is understanding that we are all in process. We are all on a journey. One of the saddest parts of society now is this cancel culture. This, the public's tendency to turn in mass and cancel someone who says or does something you don't agree with. This is not the Christian way. Growing up, my church used to sing this song, please be patient with me. God is not through with me yet. When God gets through with me, I will turn out as pure gold. The song wasn't an excuse for bad behavior, but rather an acknowledgement that we are in the process of sanctification. We are in the process of becoming more like Christ. We don't come up from the waters of baptism fully living out and being all who we are supposed to be in Christ. In fact, Paul says we will not experience the fullness of who we are and it will not be revealed until we appear with Christ in glory. And so bearing with one another is respecting the process and the journey that God has each one of us on. We are called to listen and to learn from one another. Regardless of what you believe or what opinions you hold, I trust the Holy Spirit at work in you to do the work that he is calling you to do and be the person that he wants you to be. I trust the journey God has you on. I trust that just as scales need to fall from my eyes, scales will fall from yours as well. We are all in process. And part of the heart work of reconciliation is bearing with one another and trusting and respecting our individual journeys. To bear with one another is to trust that as we each yield our lives to Christ, who we are 10 years from now or even a year from now will be totally different from who we are right now. 
bearing with one another is necessary for reconciliation. Finally, reconciliation requires not only letting go of toxicity and bearing with one another, but also forgiveness. Forgiveness is a requirement of reconciliation. In verse 13, Paul writes, forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I know, forgiveness is one of the hardest things to do, but it is the most essential for reconciliation. Paul uses the Greek term charismai that we then translate as forgive. This word is actually different in the Greek from the term that Jesus often uses. The word used by Jesus is a phaemai, which is translated as forgive, but really means to send away, like a scapegoat. So when we sin, Jesus sends our sins away from us. I love Psalm 103, verse 12, which says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. When Jesus tells us to forgive, he says to send the sin away from us. But Paul never uses the word aphemai in his writings to describe what we think of as forgiveness. Instead, Paul uses the term charismai. It connotes a generous act by one on another's behalf. It is giving something to someone with no expectation of reciprocation. It is derived from the word for grace, charis. Paul understands that forgiveness is rooted in the grace of God. Our forgiveness of others stems from the grace that we have received from our own forgiveness from God. We don't forgive because what happened to us is any less offensive or less hurtful or sinful. Rather, we forgive because we have received forgiveness from God through grace. We forgive because we know that it was only God's grace that forgave us and that saved us. We forgive because God's grace covers our sins. That's the extension of grace to someone else. Because God forgives us, we, the offended party, Take the initiative to forgive rather than waiting for the offender to apologize. It honestly doesn't matter for your soul if the person ever apologizes to you. It may seem necessary, but Christ does not place the blame of forgiveness on the offender, but rather on the one who has been offended. Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? Jesus says, no, 70 times seven Don't count the offenses. Don't wait for the apology. Just forgive. Unforgiveness is often described as drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die because it actually harms us more than the person we're withholding forgiveness from. Like anger, it can eat away at our soul and it becomes like a cancer spreading and infecting your relationships, not just with that one person, but with everyone. But when we forgive... The freedom is lifted off of us and we can begin to think and act like Christ towards that person. Forgiveness is the one-sided mandate for us as Christians. Reconciliation indeed is two-sided. It involves the other person agreeing to be reconciled. We can't control that part. That's up to God and that's up to that other person yielding to what God wants to do in their heart. Our job is simply to forgive. We forgive by saying the words even when it's hard for us to believe it in our hearts. We say it until our heart follows. 
We forgive by telling God that we need help to forgive. We forgive by praying to God and releasing the hurt and the pain to him. We forgive by telling God we will forgive. We forgive by praying a blessing over that person. Forgiveness is not easy, but it is necessary for reconciliation and unity. Despite how difficult it may be, when we are able to reconcile by letting go of what binds us to anger and bearing with one another and forgiving one another, we can be united. Because of all these things, the commitment to reconciliation and all that comes with it, with with that commitment, is ultimately a demonstration of love for God and love for one another. Paul reminds us that if we can put on love, that will bind us together in perfect unity. In September of 2018, Linda Swanson and I journeyed together on a trip called Sankofa. And if you don't know Linda, Linda is a former member here at Metro and is one of my really dear friends. Sankofa is sponsored by our denomination, the Evangelical Covenant Church, and it is described as a journey towards racial righteousness, an interactive spiritual formation pilgrimage that equips Christians to pursue racial righteousness inside and outside the church. Part of the experience is being paired with someone from a different ethnicity to process what you are learning together. We visited major sites in the South surrounding the civil rights movement here in this country. On the journey, we visited the National Memorial for Peace and Justice. If you've read the book, Just Mercy, it is the organization that is founded by Brian Stevenson. It's a lynching memorial. In it, it marks as many as 4,000 lives who have died at the hands of lynching in this country. There are hanging steel pillars with the names of each person in each county in the United States where a lynching took place. It's quite remarkable the amount of research and detail that went into this project. Now, as you all know, my family is from North Carolina. Out of curiosity, I walked through the pillars to find Halifax County, which is where my parents are from. What I found literally took my breath away. I found the pillar, and on that pillar was one name, Manna Ponton. Now, if you don't know, My last name is Ponton. When I saw that, I gasped unconsciously and my knees buckled. I immediately started crying uncontrollably. Now, thankfully, Linda wasn't too far away from me and saw what happened, so she helped me to a bench. It's one thing to know about lynching and to read about it in a universal sort of way. I know the history. I teach the history. It's another thing to see your own family line cut off by racist violence. Linda didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. But along with sadness and grief came a rage that I had never felt before. I'm so glad that it was Linda who was with me on that trip because to be quite honest, I don't think I could have taken the rest of the journey with another white person. I knew Linda and I trusted her. But that pillar with the name Ponton inscribed on it represented racist mob violence that is often hard to separate from the individuals you see every day. Hatred and anger burned within me for the life that was lost, the lineage that was stolen, and the arrest and the prosecution that was never made. Even now, it sickens me 
But I can't let rage or bitterness take root in me. I believe that racial reconciliation is God's work. And I believe that Christ died so that all of us would be united in him. Since this time, I've had to do the hard work of bearing with people who don't understand the urgency. I've had to, to hear, to bear with those who are afraid or uninformed or, or, un, or just completely disinterested. I've had to love them because they belong to the body of Christ across states and denominations and ethnicities. I've had to learn patience with myself and with other people. I have been frustrated, but I have learned to respect the journey. The push and pull of the fierce urgency of now always takes hold of me and never seems to wane. And I've had to forgive time and time again. Unnamed people, unknown people, people I know. I've had to forgive not just whomever murdered Manapontan, but for every other murder since and after then. They are not just names rattled off at a rally, but lives lost, futures denied, and potential unrealized. So I find myself in a constant state of forgiveness for both personal and universal offenses. But it's all a part of the calling to live new lives in Christ. It's a part of the calling to be countercultural and strive for unity in reconciliation, even when it's hard. It's a part of loving my neighbor and even my enemy so deeply that we reach perfect unity, not just in heaven, but here on earth. Would you join me on the journey? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we know that the work of reconciliation is so very difficult. God, it, it frustrates us when someone hurts us, whether intentionally or not. It angers us and can even cause rage and malice, cause us to slander and use filthy language. God, we pray that you would help us to let go of the toxicity in our hearts. God, we know that it's difficult to bear with one another. But I pray, God, that we would extend grace to one another, that we would respect the journey each one of us is on. Whether it's the journey of learning our own personal quirks, whether it's the journey of learning how to love your spouse. God, I pray that we would respect the journey each one of us is on. And God, I pray that we would be committed to forgiveness, that we would extend the grace that you have given us in forgiving us and covering our many sins. God, we know it's hard work whether we're talking about our best friend or our spouse or a parent, or whether we're talking about large people groups. God, it's hard work, but it's the work that only you can do. And it's the work that you've called us to do. So Lord, set our hearts and our minds on reconciliation. If there are broken and fractured relationships, bring those to mind right now. And God, I pray that we would not rest, that we would not feel ease 
until we have mended those relationships, until we have forgiven, until we've learned to bear with one another, until we've let go of the toxicity in our hearts. God, we trust you to do the work that only you can do. And God, we pray that we would be examples of witnesses to this world, of what it looks like to live in perfect unity with you and with one another. It is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Metro, we always know that the sermon never ends when we say amen. We now invite you to what's called Next Steps. If you are a Metro regular, you know about the communication card. We ask that you would take it out right now. It's a part of your Metro app. You can also find it online at emetro.org Sunday. I invite you to come to that communication card and check off the box that matters most to you, that speaks most to you. The first one is always, I don't have one, but I want a relationship with Jesus Christ. And look, you don't need to fill out the communication card for that. If you, if that is you, you can check the box in the communication card, or you can just send one of the pastors an email and say, I want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Show me how to be reconciled to him. I need him to show me how to be reconciled with one another. That's always the first choice, always the first step. Number two, I will ask God who I need to reconcile with and begin the process of letting go of toxicity, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If God has placed someone on your heart, you need to start working on that. And so check that box off just to make sure that there's nothing, there's no unforgiveness, there's no um, a breach that's still simmering in your heart. Number three, I will ask God to reveal to me who I need to bear with and pray for patience and the opportunity to do so. I read somewhere that these people are called sandpaper people because they, they buff us, they rub us. But if done the right way, they, rough, they smooth off the rough edges of us. So who are those people in your life that you need to learn to bear with? Number four, I will take the church in-person gathering survey. As Pastor Shirley mentioned, we want to hear from you. We want to know how you feel about us coming together in person again. Please take that survey so we know what you think. Number five, I am interested in joining the Racial Righteousness Working Group. I am putting together a working group that will strive to help us become a, a church and a community that really cares about racial reconciliation and racial righteousness. If this is you, I invite you to check that box off. And number six, I will sign up for small groups, which begin in October. We are talking about unity. And the best way to become united as a church community is to be a part of a small group. So check that box off as we begin um, preparing for small groups in October.